Amen. Thank you, Aaron. Heidi, appreciate that very much. Grab your Bibles, turn with me if you know where to find it, Matthew chapter 13. If you need a Bible, we have a few Bible in front of you, and we'd love for you to grab that. That would be on page 575, page 575 of a pew Bible. Otherwise, as you know where to find Matthew 13, turn with me there, if you will, and we'll get into this message. And as we begin this Sunday, finish up next Sunday's title, this, Living Among the Wheat and the Tares, Living Among the Wheat and the Tares. Matthew chapter 13, we'll delve or dive into that passage here in a moment. We'll begin around verse 24 and so forth. We pick up in Christ and his ministry here on earth, and he is, he is going strong in what we might call his teaching and preaching tour. And uh, it's going well. That he is drawing huge multitudes of crowds. I mean, people are coming from everywhere to listen to Christ. And he's also drawing critics, uh, those religious folks the, that he was making very uncomfortable with the things that he was teaching and saying. They were paying attention. They were there. They were listening, maybe trying to catch him in his words, trip him up, whatever the case may be. In the days leading up here to Matthew chapter 13, we, in previous chapters, we see him sparring verbally with the Pharisees, going back and forth about truths and things. We see him healing people, lame people, and so forth. We, we see him even, even prophesying judgment on certain cities within Israel and things like that. And so, all of this, now this teaching, is coming on the heels of those things. We, in fact, previously he's been casting out demons, and so these miracles have been done, and now Christ is going to teach, as we'll see here, about the kingdom of God. And so we pick up, and what has happened is this. Jesus Christ has gone out again from a house in which he was staying. He finds his way to the shore of the sea. And it seems, as we study the Gospels, that's probably one of his most favorite places to teach and preach from is there on the shore. In fact, this was not unlike some other days. The multitudes came out. They came out so much that Jesus Christ had to cast off from shore and preach and teach from a boat. And in doing so, you know what I think is pretty amazing in this passage? It tells us that the people stood on the shore. There was only standing room only (laughs) available. I mean, could you imagine? How would you like me to say, okay, everybody stand up. We're going to stand for the whole service. Somebody say, yeah, right. (laughs) That ain't going to happen. And yet that's what they did. They stood. That's what the Bible says. They stood on the shore to listen to him. He cast out, and the Bible tells us he gave a parable, and because he was teaching on the kingdom of God, that's a lofty spiritual concept to many, and so he used earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. We call those parables. And he starts out, he gives one parable, and then the disciples are like, whoa, why why is he doing this? And so somehow, some way, I don't know if it's two different days or whatever the text has here, but the disciples come to him and say, hey, why do you speak in parables? Why, do you, why are you giving these things in parables? Why are you sharing that? And he explains why he's teaching parables. And then we come again where now he's speaking to the multitude again in verse 24. Notice it, if you will, with me. Let's read verse 24 and following this parable. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Well, wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. 
Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. So it's a simple story. We can comprehend this and understand it very simply. But there's a farmer. He, he decides to plant in his field a good seed, what is wheat, as we see the story goes. Well, as he does that, he does a good job. The field is going to grow. He's planted it well, like farmers here in our church, and, and it ought to grow well. Things ought to go uh, according to plan. Well, his servants sleep. The men who are in charge of keeping the field and so forth, as is normal to human beings, they go to sleep. And, and when they do, an enemy comes in, and the Bible tells us that in that, he plants tares. The modern term, we would call it darnel or darnel, and it's a specific type of weed well known in the Middle East back in that day and even in our day to day. And we can empathize with that. We are certainly, you know, I think one of the beauties of the thumb of Michigan is to drive around and see the fields of, of corn and soybeans and other things, other types of things. Uh, boy, you love it when the wheat's out there or something. Boy, it's just those flowing uh, fields of grain and wheat. Uh, it's just tremendous. That's, we understand that. We can empathize with Israel being an agricultural society. What we mean by that is, for some even here today, the fact is, and so being, the people depended upon their crops, and they depended upon the quality of their crops. We can drive around, and, and I was taught early on in Indiana that corn ought to be knee-high by the 4th of July. And that tells you, hey, everything's going well, that it's growing up. And my dad taught me how to make sure the tomato plant is growing and everything else and how, where it should be by certain time. I mean, we understand that. We are looking at crops. Number one, we hope the crops come up. But number two, the quality of the crops. And so even our farmers here are hoping for rain, now less rain, more heat, and so forth. And that great combination so that there is a quality of crops. Now understand contextually. What happens, when, what happens if an enemy decides to go in your field and sabotage it and ruin your livelihood by sowing this weed among the weed? Now, that's a pretty personal attack, isn't it? Man, that's, that's pretty serious. If we thought of somebody doing that here, somebody take the trouble to do that here. But, but in the, I mean, their lives depended on That's the picture that Christ is giving here. And it wasn't just any weed. As we said, it's that weed that is termed darnel or darnel. And what's interesting about it, even today, it is a nuisance to many farmers. It, it is a weed that has a unique characteristic, and it's this. It looks like weed and other crops as it's growing, and you can't tell the difference until it comes to full maturity. In other words, it's born its fruit, it's brought its fruit ready to harvest, and then you can say, okay, now it's ready, and now I can start to see the difference in it. But before then, you can't. In fact, even an experienced farmer had difficulty telling it before that point, telling the difference between the wheat and the tares. And so it is today. In fact, I was on some different websites reading about it, and it's, it's modern uh, plague to farmers today. And the fact is, they call it the imitator plant because it so closely resembles weed. So you can imagine what, what's happening. And so, boy, the, the, sermon, the servants are all starting to go, and this is great. And they begin to say, hey, it looks like there's something else planted. And maybe it was that. That farmer did great in his rows. But, boy, then they could tell in between the rows something else was starting to grow. And it's looking just like, oh, no, some enemy has gotten in here. And he's, he's planted tares. However they knew, they, they're worried. And they come to the farmer. And they wonder, hey, should we go out there and should we try to weed the field and uh, weed the garden, if you want to describe it that way, get out all the, the tares and the farmers? No, no, don't do that. We will wait 
until the timing is right. And here's the point. We'll get into it next week, in fact. But his point is this. For the sake of the survival of the wheat. We don't want to root up the wheat. So let's not do it now. Harvest time is coming. And at that time, we'll harvest it all. We'll separate it. And we'll gather the wheat into my barns. And then we'll burn that, those weeds, those tares. All will be made right. Christ, after giving this parable, he gives a couple other parables. And it's interesting, he sends the people away. Verse 36 tells us he goes into a house, likely the house in which he was staying. The disciples follow him. And when they come to him, it's interesting, of these last three parables, there's only one that we see that they really ask, hey, what do you mean by this? In fact, in verse 36 there, if you were to glance at it, you would see that they come unto Christ and they say this, hey, declare unto us the parable of the wheat and the tares. Show us, what I mean, explain to us what was that meaning, who's that farmer, what was the, what, what is going on in that parable? They didn't understand it fully. Uh, they, it's interesting, they chose this one as the one that they wanted explanation on. And so you know what Christ does is Christ is always good at doing, he explains to them. He gives them the meaning of the parable. And so he does that for them. He does it for us today. And so I want to break it down for us if we can in this way. Number one, I want you to see this. There's two sowers, an eternal one and an envious one. There's two sowers in this parable, an eternal one and an envious one. Look with me at verse 37, if you will. Christ now is going to explain it. He answered the disciples and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man man so immediately saying listen hey that farmer is the son of man he is jesus christ it's it's me he we know that son of man is synonymous in the scripture with christ he's the one that sowed the wheat in the field he is the eternal one the one who created all things he's in control of this world and any other world he is the god of all he alone is on the throne of heaven that that's who the farmer is okay so we get that now what is the field look at verse 38 just the beginning the field is of the world so the field is the world excuse me the field is the world it's the place that god created and where he's placed all mankind now we also want to make this application and don't miss it for the sake of this message and where we are today we understand that we as the church are in the world so this applies to you and i as the family of god we find ourselves supposed to be in the world but not of the world and so even within the confines the of the local church Don't miss it. There's going to be wheat and tares here. There's going to be wheat and tares. Now, wow, we don't like to think of that reality because of what this means and the implications of the parable. But the fact is, in the world, including where the church is, there will be wheat and tares present. Certainly within the world as a whole, but also within the local church. Now, we also have to admit this. The enemy is not only in the world but he's also trying to be active in the local church. See, sometimes we like to say, well, no, 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 no. Wherever people are, the enemy is. Wherever people are, the enemy is. And the world is full of people. The church is full of people. The enemy's going to be there. And Christ is teaching that. You know what's interesting? Verse 38, if you look at the rest of it, it talks about the tares and says that they are the children of the wicked one. That wicked one is none other than Satan, our great enemy, that, that lion seeking whom he may devour. 
It's a reference, the wicked one, is a reference that Jesus Christ uses of Satan. In fact, he uses it back in verse 19 in the parable of the seed and the soil. He says the wicked one, he steals away the seed, but he likes to take it away. And, and the wicked one, Satan. In fact, it is used also many other places in the New Testament as a reference to Satan. Now, who is Satan today? We would describe him as the enemy of God. He is the enemy of the children of God. He is the enemy of what Christ is speaking about here, the kingdom of God. We also understand this, and and may I remind you of this today. You you want to know the heart of Satan? Uh, This is part and parcel. He has always been and will ever be envious of God. He will always be and has ever been envious of God. Satan is envious of God. You take two brothers, you take two sisters, you take two friends, you take siblings, you take it, and you know somebody that's envious of the other, and boy, we know how they act. We know the things that come out, the things, how it moves them and motivates them, and if they are consumed with that envy, then that envy then moves them to do different things and to attack in different ways. And so it is for Satan. He's envious. He started out wanting what? The Bible tells us that Satan wanted God's throne, didn't he? He wanted God's power. He wanted God's ruling. He wanted everything that belonged to God for himself. He wanted his title. And my friend, it hasn't stopped. Satan still wants it. And here, what is he presented as? Well, here, the Bible tells us that if the tares are the children of the the wicked one, literally, we'd say this, he's a false farmer. He is the great imitator of God. The farmer goes out, Jesus Christ, he sows his wheat. He sows believers, as the Bible's we'll see from this context. He is a farmer, he's sowing good things. The enemy comes, and what's he doing? Well, he's a sower too. He's imitating the good farmer, but what's he sowing? Tares. Children of the wicked one. And he's sowing them. He's imitating God. And my friend, can I tell you, Satan loves to imitate God. He loves to counterfeit every good thing. Might I say in a scientific term, he loves mimicry. He loves to imitate. And so I want you to see, and I want us to see this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit would have us to see that that the devil has planted people and things in this world that imitate the truth. They imitate the true things and even the true people of God. And how better for Satan to obtain his goal and plan than to imitate both the religion of God and the people of God? Now listen to me carefully this morning. If we are in a battle, as the Bible describes this spiritual life and this pursuit of Jesus Christ, then you and I have to understand a few things. One of them is this. Satan is not against religion. Satan is not against religion. In fact, I think he embraces it greatly. But the fact is this. He loves to use it for his own purposes. He loves to twist it. He loves to imitate the the right religion. And he likes to use the wrong religion in a way to deceive many from finding what Christ is speaking about right here. If he can muddy the waters... I don't know about you, but when I go fishing, I I like to do it not soon after the rain. Because I like that to be very clear where I can see the fish and everything else. You know what you don't like is when you take a kid along with you and they stick a stick in the thing and they go, why did you do that? 
I want to see clearly. If that fish come, I want to be. Can I tell you what Satan is doing all the time? He's stirring up the waters. He's making it muddy. Why? Because he doesn't want people to see the kingdom of God. That's what Christ is presenting here. Here's the kingdom of God. Here is Jesus Christ. Here's how you gain heaven and lose hell. And boy, Satan doesn't like that. So what does the enemy do here? He's planted just like the farmer. You see, in fact, here's what's amazing. Don't miss this. This is a theme throughout the whole parable. To the servants and even the trained eye, you can't tell the difference between the two growing plants in the field. That's what's amazing. Can I tell you that Satan is a good counterfeiter? He is a good imitator. He knows how to do it. He is smart. He is intelligent. He is subtle. He is subtle. He is subtle. He knows how to trick us. He knows how to deceive. He knows how to put up a good fake. And why has he done it? Because the enemy of God is envious. You see, if he can't be God, he's going to hurt the work of God. He'll stop it. He'll, He'll get people diverted and off the right path. He doesn't want there to be a harvest at all. See, if he can muddy the waters, if he can create havoc and wreak havoc in that field uh, with sowing of his tares, man, that is success. He doesn't want anyone to find and be part of the kingdom of God. All he wants to do, and don't miss this, all he wants to do is pull God off his throne and exalt himself. And my friend, if he can't do that in heaven, get it, mark it down, he'll do it in your heart. Satan wants to take God off the throne of heaven. But when he fails at that, my friend, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, he'll keep Jesus Christ off the throne of your heart. It's either heaven or heart for him. Mark it down. He wants to dethrone God. See, Satan hates God. And if he can't topple God, he will gladly attack and affect the wheat. Knowing that if you can't hurt someone personally, you can hurt them by hurting someone they love. And so that's what he does. So he's a fake farmer, and he's out there to thwart the plan of the true farmer. And he attempts to do so through planting fake seed. Now here's the amazing thing, as we've already pointed out, but as now we expound upon, he he does so by planting a fake seed that looks just like the real thing. Look at verse 38, if you will, with me again. The field is the world, he writes and says and explains. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. So here's the differentiation between the two seeds. We had the two sowers, and now we have the two seeds. The two sowers, one was eternal. That's God in heaven, Jesus Christ. The other one was envious. That's Satan. Now we have two seeds. Now they are similar, and yet we'll see that eventually there is a separation of them. But now we dwell upon this reality that they are very similar. See, the good seed or the weed are believers, the children of God. The tares, the, the weeds, or the darnel are the children of the wicked one. Now, when was this planting happening? Now, let me encourage you. Here's some practical application for you and I. As we take away from this parable, I want to challenge you about something right now. When did that happen? When did the enemy come? Well, the parable said, Jesus Christ said, when men were sleeping. It isn't that the farmer was sleeping. It was his servants, the people of the farmer, uh, his workers, however you want to describe it. They were the ones sleeping, and that's when the enemy came. Now, listen to me. It is time to wake up. 
It's time to wake up. And I'm not talking to the person sleeping in the pew. I'm not talking physically. I am talking spiritually. It is time to wake up. Now, Christian, too often and too long, we've underestimated the enemy. His designs and plans and the things that he does within the church and in the world to take away, to hurt and affect God's kingdom. I think it's interesting. It's the same thought here and, uh, that, that uh, Paul alluded to in 1 Corinthians. May I put it this way, though? Here's the reality. We need to wake up to the reality that there is a fake farmer out there and there is fake seed out there. We're surrounded by counterfeits. There's fakes out there. And we'll see what, what God himself says about it and the reality of it. Paul called the church at Corinth to wake up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34, he says this, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. There he's saying, awake to living godly, to, to living the life that you're supposed to do. Here in this parable, you know what God's telling us? He's imparting to you and I his knowledge. That you and I might awake the truth in righteousness in the fact that the threat of the fake farmer is real. There is a reality of the fake seed. May I remind you, your enemy, my enemy, God's enemy is hard at work. He does not sleep. He is constantly after your neighbor, my neighbor. He is constantly after our co-workers. He is constantly trying to deceive our family members. He is even trying to lead Christians astray with fake things, false things. He is the great deceiver. He is the great liar. He is the great counterfeiter. You know what Matthew 24 Christ said? Christ said this about him. He would use false means to deceive even the elect if it were possible. Now you think about that for a moment. Satan is so envious. He would love to put so many fake things in this world to deceive even the children of God. Uh, How would we describe that? Well, do you know what a swindler is? I know what a swindler is. Do you know what a swindler is? It's somebody who preys upon other people. They have money or possessions, and the swindler tries to get from them what they already possess. Now, when I tell you something, if it were possible, Satan would like to deceive you and I into taking the very salvation we have in Christ. Now, boy, am I thankful that it even, as even Christ alludes to in Matthew 24, it's not possible. Satan can't take your salvation. He can't take you being a part of the family of God. It's not possible. But I'll tell you, my friend, that shows us what kind of enemy we have, doesn't it? If he'd even, if he could, like to deceive even the elect uh, to steal away, to ruin us. Certainly, he's trying to ruin the work of God, cripple the kingdom of God any way he can. And now listen, he's the fake farmer. He plants fake seed. Now, some of the sea, this, these terrors, yes, they're people, but they're different varieties of people, we might say. The Bible explains it. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll keep our spot here in Matthew 13, but 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you have a pew Bible, that's page 691. Page 691. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 4 is where we'll look. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 4. Now, this is an amazing statement. Paul is now teaching and speaking to the church at Corinth, and he's talking to them about being being aware. Beware of what's out there. The the enemy, the things that he has thrown into the world, the terrors that he has sown. Notice verse 4. 
For if he that cometh preacheth, uh, preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which we have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. And he goes on to say, listen, hey, you need to stick to the gospel, the Christ, the spirit that we have shared with you, okay? Understand it. What is he speaking of? He says this. There's going to be people who come and preach. How did he describe it? He said, another Christ. I submit to you that there are people who preach a fake Christ. Not the true one, not the real one. Satan is planting people who, who preach a fake Christ. You realize that even now today, as it was in the days of Paul, he loves, Satan, the enemy, loves to throw out false Christs. False deliverers, false redeemers, false uh, folks who, who people follow. He loves using false religion and beliefs that say they trust in Christ. But when you dig deeper, you find that their Christ is not the Christ of the Bible. He's not the true Christ. It is a false or fake Christ. And who preaches these false Christs? Satan does. You say, well, Pastor Henry, where, where do you see that? May I submit to you this morning that the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witness, and Islam all preach a false Christ. Jehovah's and, and Mormons both believe that Satan and Jesus were spirit brothers. My friend, that is unbiblical. That is false. It is a fake Christ. Muslims deny the deity of Jesus Christ and say that he was just a prophet. My friend, that is a false Christ. And it takes many forms and many types of false religions, false teachings that are out there. Hey, recently, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ has come under attack. If someone denies the virgin birth, my friend, then they believe in a false Christ. The Bible speaks of it. They're out there. There's tares among the wheat in this world, and sadly, even sometimes within churches. You see, the fact is that Satan loves to send people all over the world preaching fake Christ. Not the one true way to God in heaven. Not the only name under heaven given among men why you must be saved. He likes and loves pushing false and counterfeit Christ. See, these tares are not only unbelievers, but there are peddlers among them of fake Christ. It's interesting, in the same verse, and also in Galatians chapter 1, I believe verse 6, Paul says there are some that are peddling and preaching, note it, another gospel. There's another, there's a fake gospel out there, he's saying. There's fake Christ and there's fake gospel. They deviate from the true gospel, a salvation that is pushed and promoted in something other than Jesus Christ alone. My friend, you and I know there's many denominations, there's many people who in and of themselves, they believe in Jesus Christ and good works. Can I tell you, my friend, that's a false, fake gospel. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's His mercy and His grace by which we are saved. But that's a false gospel. Take anybody who says, ah, yeah, oh, I trust in Christ, and I've lived a good life, and so I'm going to get to heaven. That's a fake gospel. And boy, what, doesn't Satan love to use that? Doesn't Satan love to mix up the water and muddy it up? And it, he, he calls confusion even among wheat. And Boy, those tares are greatly planted. The fake gospel. You can be sure our enemy, the fake farmer, the wicked one, loves to plant such a fake gospel. Then in this verse... 
Paul pointed out something else that the false farmer likes to throw out there with the fake Christ. What did that verse say? Another spirit. That's interesting, isn't it? Fake Christ, fake gospel, and a fake spirit. See, be careful, friend. Satan loves for people to think they are Christians because they've had a quote-unquote spiritual experience. Oh yeah, just this is one time, and I just I could just feel the presence of uh, of something. And I I just know it was God, and boy, from that moment forward, I I just knew I was saved. Be careful, because there are fake spirits out there. There's fake spirits who induce and bring fake spiritual experiences. That's why the Bible encourages you and I to try every spirit. See, just because you have a quote-unquote spiritual experience or, may I use this terminology carefully, you make contact with the supernatural. And what I mean by this is that maybe there's someone who thinks they've, they've died, a near-death experience, they've gone to heaven, or uh, they think in their minds that they have experienced in some way or another a spiritual being speaking to them, appearing to them, and so forth. Even if those things occurred, Nowhere in the the Scriptures does it say those things make you a Christian. But doesn't Satan want us to think that? Man, I just I was in a car accident, and boy, my, my heart started beating, and I just saw these things. While I, was, I mean, I, I'm sure I went to heaven for a minute, or three minutes, or five minutes, and boy, and boy, I came back, and man, I, I just, I know I know God now. No, you don't know God. You know God by through Jesus Christ. Not spiritual experience. So he challenges us because, man, the great imitator would love, would love for there to be people among the wheat thinking, oh, yeah, I'm a wheat, I'm a wheat, the whole time they're a terror. Because they believed a fake gospel, they believed in a fake Christ, or they've had been led astray by a fake spirit. He'd love that. He'll thwart the farmer and his desire for heaven to be full and hell to be empty. You see, Satan loves to fill this world with fake spirits. Many a person has been deceived through the work of these fake spirits, some through false spiritual experiences. Hence, we are encouraged to try every spirit. You say, Pastor Henry, what if I have one of those experiences in a spiritual experience? I'll tell you, man, I, I think when I got saved, it was a spiritual experience. You know why it's a spiritual experience? Because it was a spiritual regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So I'm not against spiritual experiences, but this one thing I know about spiritual experiences, don't miss it, it can only be of God, and it can only be profitable if it is founded upon the truth of God's Word, if it conforms to the Word of God, and it confirms the Word of God. See, my experience, my spiritual experience in salvation, my friend, can I tell you why that happened? It was this. I realized I was a sinner. I realized that I could not gain heaven in and of myself, that I deserve hell because of my sins, and that I had to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to gain heaven and lose hell. And in that moment, as a six-year-old on top bunk of my bunk beds, my brother asleep underneath, my dad had come in, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That was my spiritual experience. And I'll tell you, my friend, it rests upon God's Word. It confirms everything the Word of God teaches, and it conforms to the Word of God. Now, if I stand up before you today and I say, hey, Pastor Henry had a vision this past week, and he said this. He said, Jesus Christ is coming back at 11.55 today. Uh Uh-oh. That wasn't a true spiritual experience, Pastor Henry. Why not? Because, number one, it's 11.59. It didn't happen. But, number two, hey, the Bible says no man 
knoweth the hour. So it did not conform to scriptures. Did not confirm it either. I tell you, my friend, it's easy to take a spiritual experience, hold it up against the evaluating word of God, and know what it is. And know if it's a true spirit or a fake spirit. And boy, Satan loves his fake spirits, doesn't he? He loves to confuse people and emotions and things like that. And yet, the fact is this. Anything else is manufactured by the fake spirit, so we ought to beware. But these tares are in this world. They are tares of every kind. Fake Christ, fake spirits. There are uh, fake gospels, proponents of these things. And boy, what, what have we learned from this parable? They look very similar to the good wheat. Boy, don't we desperately need the discernment of God's Word and God's Spirit? We need to be able to know the difference and be able to be careful. And, and he says what? This is something else he says. Hey, it's not just these fake things, but he adds to it. Verse 13, notice it. He adds to what we would say fake ministers. Look at verse 13 of the same chapter, 2 Corinthians 11. He says this, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Wow, what a statement. They look just like apostles and ministers and others of Christ. They literally look like the real thing, friend. May I tell you, this is a dangerous truth. You and I know it, man. With the advent of technology and the internet and and YouTube and and, uh, so-called religious TV stations, my friend, I tell you, there are a lot of fake ministers out there. And boy, I I think there's some that Satan himself has planted. That Satan has has put up there to deceive and to confuse and to imitate the real thing. God's saying it here. The very reason Christ gives us this parable, and then he leads Paul and other New Testament authors to write about these false, fake imitations that the devil is sowing all around us because it's so very dangerous. They literally look like apostles, followers, teachers, preachers, and workers of God. But they aren't. Look at verse 14. He goes on. Notice the description. And don't marvel. No marvel. Don't, don't be uh, shocked. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their words. Satan likes to look like an angel of light. He likes to make his henchmen his fake ministers. Looks like the good guys. Hey, Ian, young people, it's going to be hard to believe. Okay? Used to be a long, long time ago that there were these things called westerns and they were in black and white. Oh. And I'll tell you, my friend, I used to, uh, uh, Randolph, remember Zach Randolph, Randolph was one of the guy's names, Scott Randolph, anyway, so I remember watching him, and, and, uh, and uh, by, you know what he always wore? The white, because he was a good guy. You know who the bad guys always wore? Black. You young people are like, whoa, I know, it's hard to believe. That's, uh, that's how we knew, they didn't have these special capes and everything else, okay? The good guys wore white, the bad guys wore black, and you knew the difference. You know what the Bible says? The bad guys are wearing white now. <gasps> Can't do that. That messes it up. Well, that's exactly what Satan wants, doesn't he? He wants you and I, he wants people to confuse what? The bad guys with the good guys. They transform themselves. Satan loves it. He wants as much confusion. May, may I just say this and As a pastor preaching from the pulpit, may I make this statement? There are many 
many, sadly, there are many false ministers in the ministries and pulpits of even this great nation. They're called Christians. They are called followers of God by themselves. And even the world, the world might point to a religious expert and a, a famous pastor and, and this and that and so forth. And, and, and they call themselves a Christian. But they are good counterfeits. They are good fakes. In fact, they are so good that it is often hard to tell them apart from the real thing. In fact, as we'll see, and I don't know what's going on, Brother Ben. Yeah, we'll switch here. Thank you. Um, as we'll see. God comes to the point, he says, listen, that's not your job necessarily to, to root them out. Your job is to know that they're out there. And they are deceiving and they are fake. And as we'll see in a moment, you've got to know the truth so you know the fake. God is telling you and I in this parable, know that they're out there. Don't be shocked. Don't marvel, as Paul said. <laughs> don't, don't think, well, every person who calls himself a Christian is a Christian. Every person who calls himself a preacher or a pastor is a pastor is a preacher, is a follower of God. No, uh, there is a long list of imitations. The seed of the tear, the, that flow from the fake farmer. And boy, he adds one more. Now, I think this is probably where Matthew 13 is focused most upon. But Paul adds one here that confirms what Matthew 13 is saying in verse 26. Notice it. In verse 26 of chapter 11, he is giving a long list of persecutions and things that he faced. Notice what he says in verse 26. In journeyings, journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among... What's the next two words? False brethren. Hmm. Wait a minute, Paul, you're a great missionary. And yeah, well, you, 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 if anybody in the New Testament knew the heart and mind of God, it was Paul. You're telling us that you got fooled? Well, follow this logic. If Paul could tell that someone was a fake brethren, do you think he'd be caught in a perilous position with them? No way. And yet the reality is this, Paul says this, there are fake believers out there. There's fake belief. People who call themselves Christians and followers of God, and truly, they are not of God. Might we put it this way? There are those out there who are tares, who look like, talk like, live like, minister like, act like, and come to church like true believers. The Bible says they are fake. They are not of God. They are not of His kingdom. And I'll tell you, friend, if Paul knew they were fake, he would have never allowed himself to enter a perilous situation with them. But he didn't. He couldn't even tell that they were good fakes and good counterfeits, convincing fakes. A guy who he would say would certainly walk with God and so forth. These tares are not born again. They are not of Christ. They are not true Christians. But don't be mistaken. They can do some good still. They can look good on the outside. They can do some things and even seemingly accomplish some things for God's kingdom. I, one of the most amazing statements is what Paul gives us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and verse 23. He says this, There's going to be some in the end times who come to me and say, Listen, hey God, we've cast out devils in your names. Uh, in your, we've prophesied things in your names. In fact, we have done many wonderful good works in your name. 
they play the part, they look the part, they've accomplished good. And what does he say to them? Depart from me, for I never knew you. Wow. That blows our mind. But they, I mean, if there was any, in our Sunday school, we've been studying the apostles. This morning in our Sunday school class, we're well behind. And we studied Judas Iscariot. And man, I tell you, if you want to see a good fake, Judas Iscariot was a good fake. He had all the disciples fooled. When Christ said, someone here is going to betray me, they didn't all go say, yeah, that's Judas right there. Sorry, Pastor Aaron. Um, they didn't point, oh, Judas, Judas. Yeah, he's, he, oh, yeah, it's got to be him. You know what they said? Is it I? Is it I? And I told my son this going, I think it's pretty amazing. You know what Judas said? Here's a good deceiver. He looked at Christ and he said, is it I? That's some goal, isn't it? And what's even more amazing, do you realize that he said that even after he met with the high priest and arranged everything? Man, that's somebody who's a pretty good player, pretty good hypocrite. May I tell you, my friend, there are fake believers. There's fake believers. They look the part. They talk the part. They act the part. They, they, man, if, boy, they, if there was ever a believer, that was it. They're fake. Why? Because listen, listen. The verse does not say, for with actions man believeth unto salvation. No, no, no. For with the heart. The heart. So you can fake a lot of things. Satan's learned it. And he's faked a lot. And he wants to mess up the harvest. He wants to mess up even the wheat. I, I like one illustration. It's certainly not original with me. One of my favorite preachers used it. Let's say, if you can, this was a counterfeit $20 bill. In fact, it may be. I couldn't tell the difference, okay? Let's say maybe it's a, tw- a counterfeit $20 bill, okay? So it's counterfeit, it's not, but could not this counterfeit bill do some good? Well, yeah. I-, I think I could go into a Walmart, and I think I could go maybe into a McDonald's, and I could fool somebody and give them a counterfeit bill. I- I've been to some where, you know, they mark it or they hold it up to the light and they try to tell and so forth. But a good counterfeit, maybe even be able to pass that. But I've also handed money to a cashier, and they're just like, <laughs> don't even look at it. So the reality is, a counterfeit bill, I, I might be able to get some Dr. Pepper and Funyuns. Okay, eggs and milk, bread, okay. So, uh, I could do, it could pass at a grocery store, it could pass at McDonald's, it could do some good, it could accomplish some good, it could do some things, and yet still be counterfeit. But boyfriend, what if I take it to a knowledgeable, a, a bank teller who knows what a counterfeit is and knows what a real thing is. And I'll tell you, my friend, you take that into a bank and most of the time it, they're going to stop it. It will not pass there. Now listen to me. Harvest time is coming. And the great judge knows the wheat from the tares. The day is coming. He'll, we can fake people. We can fake those around us. There will be fake of everything. But the day is coming when all will be revealed. Hearts will be revealed. We'll get into the separation next week. But can I ask you to remember three things? You say, okay, Pastor Henry, what do we take now away from this first part of this parable? Here it is. Don't miss it. Number one, I mean this in all sincerity. Make sure you're the real thing. Make sure you're a believer today. Make, you say, Pastor Henry, are, are, are you trying to scare people into being unsaved, to doubt their salvation? Listen to me, listen to me. 
Okay, I honestly believe this. I don't care what I say. I don't care how I say it. If you are saved, you ought to know you're saved. It would not take a pastor standing up here and say, hey, you need to make sure you're a real thing. Oh, no, am I saved? Am I not saved? Oh, no. No, no, no. Wait a second, friend. You, whether you're saved or not is not based upon feeling. It's based upon the fact of God's word. And whether you took God at his word and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is not an outward show. It is not the acts that you commit. It is not that you talk the talk and walk the walk. It is the reality have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And this one thing I know, that within the world, within the church, there is wheat and there is tares. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. So make sure you're real today. Make sure you haven't been playing a game, that you haven't been doing the Judas thing, and you haven't been just going along, and you look good on the outside, but there's never been a time where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you have surrendered in salvation to him. And then we trust that in the days and the weeks and the months to come, it leads to surrender in life. Are you the real thing? Number two, I want you, don't be disillusioned. Time will not permit us. We'll hit more on it next week. But remember this, understand and live in light of the fact and the knowledge that there are some good fakes out there. Don't be naive. Don't marvel, as Paul said. Don't, don't, don't say, well, I just, I just can't believe there's fakes out there. Hey, take God at his word. There's a fake farmer and there's tares out there. So understand that and live in light of that fact. Don't become disillusioned when you find out someone who you thought was a great preacher, a great Christian, is revealed to not even be a Christian. Don't throw out the truth because of the tares among the wheat. Don't do that. We'll say more of it next week. And then last but not least, I I think this is crucial. Know the truth. Because it, like nothing else, can free you from falling for the fakes. So how do you know? Well, if I, could, if I studied and I studied the real dollar, then I could look at another one and I could compare and say, oh, I, I, no, I see that this is counterfeit. I see that this is fake. So know the truth. In fact, we know the scripture says it, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now here, we, we, we throw that out there. Great verse. It's true. The liberty it preaches, the freedom. But listen, this is predicated upon the verse before. Look at the beginning of verse 32. And it's a connecting thought, isn't it? So and. So what's he saying in verse 31? He says this. Then said Jesus to those who believed in the Jews, If ye continue in my word... Then are ye my disciples indeed, and notice, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Pastor Henry, how do I make sure that I don't fall for a fake? Know the truth. How do I know the truth? Continue in my word. What does that make me? A disciple indeed. Are you Christian? Are you the real thing? Are you disillusioned this morning because there's somebody in your life, uh, maybe somebody you looked up to, a, a Christian or a preacher or somebody that fell, and you're like, I can't believe it, and you start to doubt. You're, no, no, don't do that. Understand there's tares among the wheat. And then number three, can I encourage you, friend, there's a whole long list of fakes out there that the fake farmer's planting, so know the truth. How do you know the truth? Continue in my word. How is it for you, Christian? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We are grateful for it. I praise you for your goodness and and your truth. I thank you for these parables that teach us such truth. And Father, thank you for revealing what life is like today. 
Father, I know that there are, are tares among the wheat. We see it every day. And, Father, it's so discouraging at times and can be disillusioning at times. And, and yet, Father, it, it ought to remind us here this morning to first and foremost, may your Holy Spirit reveal to us if we are not the real thing. Father, you yourself said you are not a God of confusion. So if someone's confused this morning, I pray that you'd remove that veil, that blindness, that maybe even Satan's trying to put up in front of them. And, Lord, I pray that they would make sure that they are the wheat this morning. May they make sure that there was a moment, a time in their life where they came to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And if not, Lord, I pray that they would respond here in a moment in this invitation. May they slip out. May they come down this aisle. May we show them from your word how they can know for sure that Jesus is their Savior, heaven is their home, and they're part. Father, I pray for Christians here. Lord, I, you know every heart. You know the one who's become disillusioned. Maybe they've left off uh, uh, being strong in the faith because some around them have fallen, Lord, those who were never saved. They played a good part. They acted the part. But, Father, they thought they were a great Christian. And it turns out they were never none of yours. They left and went away from us because they were none of us. Father, I pray that you'd comfort that Christian. Help us to be strong and resolute and resolved that there are going to be fakes out there. But we know the real Christ. We know the true gospel. And, Father, we know your word. Lord, I pray you convict us this morning if we have not done well in studying your word, continuing in it, to be able to observe and notice and identify fakes to the best of our ability and the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would work, move and work in our hearts and our lives this morning in this invitation. And may you gain the glory from it. May your church be stronger because of it. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your word, Father. With heads bowed and eyes.